You are listening to the Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. Each week, we uncork the lighter side of wine with some of the most intriguing people in the wine industry. So grab a glass, let's drink some wine, and talk some shit. Hello and welcome to the Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. Luke Taylor here. Thanks for joining us. I have a really special person that I'm going to interview, and special is probably an understatement. This gentleman is... If I was a winemaker, wine owner, I kind of want to be him. Uh, let's not kid myself. Probably not. Michael Keenan, welcome to the Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. Michael Keenan. Thank you, Mr. Cork Taylor. <laughs> what people might not know is the cork in my mouth on the obscene uh, photo that my mom does not like is actually one of your corks. Did you know that? I did. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite honored by that, uh, that tribute. Notes. I'm assuming that photo is a tribute. <laughs> tribute to I don't know what but uh Michael and I have known each other for a couple of years now and uh play golf a couple times a year and uh really fascinating story I mean we're outside you can probably hear the birds chirp you might hear some of the workers working that's not Michael Michael doesn't work Michael plays a lot of golf so Michael tell me a little bit about Keenan Wine Spring Mountain I mean it's the the view is there's a freaking tree in front of us so I don't know how good the view is but driving up here I mean it's pretty impressive to say the least it is and I think that's the impression Everybody gets when they when they come up here. It's a long drive up a winding oh my you know, four Lord. mile mountain road yeah. from St. Helena. Yeah. Um, you know I got passed coming up here by a Tesla, gold Tesla. Whose gold Tesla would that be? Oh, uh, that's probably Lord Perry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, See, Lord Perry is the only downloading. <laughs> <laughs> this is not gonna be good. Oh god. I'm selling and leaving leaving the state after this. <laughs> So tell me, tell me about this beautiful piece of property. Well, it's something my father searched out in 1974 after collecting wines, after being sort of mentored by his father-in-law into the world of fine wines, beginning in the early 50s when he married my mom. After 42 or 22 years of collecting these great wines from Bordeaux and Burgundy, he got the bug to come to Napa to look for a property to build mm-hmm. a. Uh, you know, at a state winery on the model of, you know, the great properties of Bordeaux and Burgundy, something that where the property was great, wines would be great once you got to know the property, mm-hmm. and then you could hand it on to the next generation and establish, you know, a great name. So he, he came up to Napa in 74, engaged a real estate agent, um, only looked at mountain property because he intuitively thought the mountains are where the great wines would be made from Napa. In 1974, all that was happening in Napa was Oakville and Yonville. Mm-hmm. where the ground was flatter and richer and everything could grow there. And mm-hmm. I thought that was just too rich for making truly great wines. So they mm-hmm. very pretty, very rich, but not really distinct, complex, powerful, long-lived, like, you know, the Chateau Latour and mm-hmm. the first growth. So you look at Spring Mountain and Howe Mountain and chose this property on Spring Mountain for two reasons that he thought were superior to Howe Mountain. We were on the west side of the valley here, so we face east. Mm-hmm. So we get that morning light. First thing, and then at the end of the day, when the sun's at a you know at an angle almost parallel to the slope of the vineyard, you get a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. And then the second tiebreaker was water. You know, Spring Mountain's called Spring Mountain for a really good reason. I wonder why. <laughs> There's a lot of water. There's a lot of water in the ground. <laughs> Supposedly, and that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, it was actually it's about a one mile sort of saddle-shaped dip in the Mayacamas Mountains, which were literally three-quarters of a mile from as we sit here, which is the ridgeline. Mm-hmm. And that funnels more storm energy as the storms come from the ocean to our west and head east. So a little dip just 
bring more rain out of the sky. And uh, we average 56 inches a year up here. Wow. And I think both in 2017 and 2019, we went over 80. So that's, that's a lot of rain. And the, and the ground is very, very rocky up here. And the mm-hmm. water goes through the ground into the aquifer below where we have one of our wells is 60 gallons a minute, which is it's unheard of for for Napa. So we've mm-hmm. got the exposure, we've got the water, got the well-drained soils. And now we have 43 years of experience growing and figuring out where to put stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think almost all of our vineyards now, with the exception of one, are over the age of 20 which is, the, to me, the golden period. That's legal. <laughs> they're, they're all legal. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing it up there. <laughs> you can edit this. <laughs> no, I'm not going no, to. <laughs> I just send it to the producer, and he just... Just pipes it right in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. anyway, they're, they're, they're in a very mature <laughs> yes. stage where we're just getting a little bit more detail, mm-hmm. a little bit more finesse. Uh, we haven't had an issue with tannins in a long time which were kind of an issue for us for the first 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're just in our sort of golden era right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been running the, the program for 22 years. My son's now working for me, you know, mentoring him. Then he's very talented. Mm-hmm. So the future looks bright. That's the first time you've ever said that. And, you know, this is going to last for perpetuity. So he can listen to it over and over. His <laughs> father actually gave him a compliment. Willingly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. If, you know, if I... Between my father, myself, and Riley, my son, um, I think Riley is, between the three of us, probably the most talented wine person in the group. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad had the vision, you know, the, the risk-taking gene to get mm-hmm. this thing started when, you know, back in the 70s, it was quite a risk. Mm-hmm. And if he'd given me this book that was written by these two Wall Street Journal reporters in, in 1988 about the business of selling wine... Uh, fine wine from Napa and how hard it was. If he'd made me read that book before I took this job, mm-hmm. I never would have taken this job. Right. But uh, fortunately, I came up here with the attitude that uh, failure is not an option. I will mm-hmm. turn this program around. It was not in a great state because Dad had a lot of issues in the uh, final ten years of his tenure as the mm-hmm. head of the program. We can go into those in more detail in another podcast. Yes, <laughs> that could be a couple episodes. Just, just leave it. We, we had <laughs> yeah, a lot of good. issues to deal yes. with, and yeah. you know, we, we managed to correct them. And, and the reason we've been able to, to thrive is because the DNA of the property is is A+. plus. Dad had a great sense of property. It was this true, you know, sort of Irish skill for mm-hmm. dirt. And, uh, and now we're really realizing what what gold we have in the land here. And it's, it's really satisfying. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I guess, what would you, one or two words, how would you explain spring mountain? Like the taste, the, what is this spring mountain, I guess, stamp? Well, it's, there's a lot of layers to it, but when you can, in the mountains in general, wines are more powerful mm-hmm. because the, the stress of elevation and, you know, the slope and the rockiness mm-hmm. and the leaner soils, the vines will produce a smaller diameter barrier. So they're more concentrated. So you get more power in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And then with Spring Mountain, with the amount of rain we get and, and the, the subtle richness of the clay part of the soil, we can add beauty and finesse to power and get this in specifically, I think, from the soil and from this elevation, we get a sort of... That's the dog. That's the, that's the guard dog. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently someone's coming. Yeah. <laughs> But we can get a sense of uh, sort of rich, damp, loamy earth mm-hmm. quality uh, to the wines, which I think is, is distinctive to Spring Mountain mm-hmm. uh, and is really good. As long as we don't over-ripen them, which is so common in Napa, both in the mountains and the valleys, 
if we pick it just the right time, we capture all those subtle subdominant flavors that are really terroir driven. If you pick later, your wine's going to taste like a Hell Mountain wine. It could taste like a St. Helena wine or even an Oakville wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, when your dad, I guess, uh, through the kind of troubles, did he ever think, oh, I shouldn't have done this? Or did you ever think that too? I mean, because you were probably old enough to remember, because you're about, what, 96. So, <laughs> you know, you probably remember kind of the trials and tribulations, right? I mean, Actually, I don't because uh, I knew more of dad's other struggles in another business I did about the winery. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, thanks. I mean, after I, I worked here in 77 the first, mm-hmm. the first year and left or fled after the first harvest was done, not wanting to have anything to do with the program here or my father at that point. Right. So I didn't really have much knowledge of what was going on here until maybe, you know, 95-ish when I knew things weren't going that well. But I had another career going and... I didn't think I'd ever be back here. Mm-hmm. And you were doing pretty well in that other career, too. We, Yeah, the late 90s were the peak of our business. Mm-hmm. And after my partner and I had been together since, uh, really since 1979. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were... What were uh, you doing? We were doing high-end remodeling in the Bay Area. So, we really found a niche as uh, guys who could do everything from foundation to cabinet work and do it all in-house. And, uh, you know, the fairly small... Crew. We could, you know, tear a roof off a one-story house and turn it into a two-story house with a new kitchen. And do it could you still morning. do that now, uh, twenty yeah. years, thirty years later? Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> well, I could if I had, if I had a nice crew and I could tell them all what to do. But yeah, well, it doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> I'm not getting up on scaffolding anymore or up on a roof. What What made you come back, or what made you come come here? I mean, you know, you didn't have the greatest relationship. Uh, we didn't. We don't need to go into this with your dad at the, at the time. What I guess what well, what called was, you back or what called you here? Well, literally, it was my father. He, yeah, there was a big fundamental change in our family DNA when his <laughs> second wife passed away in 1997, and it allowed us to restart our friendship that had been completely severed, you know, three years before. Mm-hmm. And then after a certain amount of time, he literally said to me, "Either you come back to the winery and uh, and run the program, or I'm going to sell it. I'm an old man now, and I'm done." Wow. And Dad uh, gave me the gift of wine appreciation at a really young age. Mm-hmm. He wanted us to learn about it. And this is before we bought the property. This is, I, mean, I, I literally don't remember when I started drinking wine. It was like sometime around when I started eating dinner. Intravenously. So was, as a child. Like, it was a long time ago. <laughs> but it, it just be, it was part of our normal family culture. Um, mm-hmm. Usually it was Sunday night dinners, probably the only meal we had together right. as a family. Which is true for a lot of families. Yeah. And uh, Dad would open up some wine from either Burgundy or Bordeaux and lecture about the winery and mm-hmm. stuff. And we'd get a little, you know, about this much and teeny little pour. Yep. It just became normal and interesting and, and it just gets in your blood. Do you remember some of the wines, any epiphanies or anything like, man, I really like this style or no, I, mean, I know that's a while ago. But I still. Mean, it was all just normal. Yeah. So there was nothing like, Oh, this is Chateau, you know, Latour. Yeah. Chateau, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was just told these were the best wines from, Bordeaux and Burgundy. and Isn't that crazy that you, you know. That was just the normal benchmark. That's so. amazing. And do you think those wines you had back then from maybe not Burgundy as much, but Bordeaux, it's kind of what you do stylistically as a winemaker? Yes, I do. Because I think what dad passed on to me is that wine should reflect a sense of place. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're trying to reflect the sense of place, which is Spring Mountain. So therefore, the wines are are more mm-hmm. like old world wines, and I, I've been told many times by professional wine buyers and critics that we make an old world style wine, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to. I'm trying to make a spring mountain wine. The right. way I think they should be made. Right. 
And I know it's a compliment, usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I know that's difficult for you. <laughs> Tell me about uh, one of your favorite people in the world, Robert Parker. Well, he's he's a fascinating. <laughs> and this was when again? I think it was two thousand. Okay. So I was gonna, and I did. I showed him the '96 Cabernet. Um, for his second review, because he reviewed it two years earlier, and he gave it, I thought, a rather lackluster review. And we'd held the wine. The kiss of death, 89. <laughs> <laughs> oh, even worse. <laughs> so we'd held that wine back an extra year and a half or two years because it was so tannic. 96 mm-hmm. was the hottest year of the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were three different heat spells, and it was just it was punishing. I was actually in mm-hmm. Napa building a house for my father-in-law. So I experienced the, the heat waves that summer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nothing to do with the winery, but... Uh, right. Because that, the tans were really high, and we ended up selling the 97 vintage ahead of the 96 to give it an extra year and bottle to really matriculate. Mm-hmm. And we did so many blind tastings. Everybody came to the winery, got subjected to the same yep. panel of wines, and we charted the integration of these tannins. Mm-hmm. So I said to Parker, I said, uh, you know, I, I want you to try this wine again. We all know how much wine's changed in the first five years. Now this wine's entering its sixth its six year. Mm-hmm. He just looked at me like I just insulted his credentials. Like you probably I was did. Saying something really stupid to yeah. him. And it, to me, it was innocent. Come, on, I'm trying to you know tell my story. To him. Maybe he how, doesn't speak Finnish or Norwegian. You know about how brilliant I was <laughs> well, holding right. this wine back. <laughs> right. Thought this could be a great story. <laughs> He's looked at me. He goes, "Don't tell me anything about wine. Just pour the wine, rookie." Really? Let's get on with it. Yeah. He was quite dismissive. Wow. And I'll never forget. It was the only time we were tasting standing up. It was just the two of us. And I was trying to talk to him while I was tasting. It was the third wine we tasted after the Chardonnay and the Merlot. And I remember putting that cab in my mouth and feeling it just suck the flesh mm-hmm. off of my cheeks. And I was truly stunned because, like I said, we'd done this two-year study mm-hmm. watching how the wine was uh, was integrating. So mm-hmm. I was shocked. It was like taking your kindergartner to the prestigious interview for the for the great, you know, mm-hmm school you want to get him into and he hops up on the desk of the principals and drops his drawers and takes a shit on the desk and you're like he never does this at home he's really a great kid you know someone that's done that <laughs> i mean that's a horrible analogy i feel like you did that as a child multiple times i think it drives the point home. well yeah i'm sure you thought you thought your child was over this behavior that stopped doing that two years ago <laughs> and the principal of course says hey, get this kid out of here you know right good luck good luck with that <laughs> So Parker also spits the wine out and goes, oh, man, I got a cellar full of wines like that. Those tannins are never going to come around. And I was just really? crestfallen. Yeah. Plus, I knew my father was waiting for me to call him. You know, how to go? How to go? Yeah. <laughs> to charm him? <laughs> I hope you didn't say what I told you not to say. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go call dad and tell him, yeah, it, it didn't really go that that well. So, And the, the, the irony of the story is that, uh, you know, Parker gave the wine a lower score. He gave it an 86 on the second go around. <laughs> so 88 so, the first one, 86 the yeah, second yeah, one. It's, it's always it's, bad when you go down. You should always try to go up, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It'd be fun actually to taste that 86 right now. But, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> You'll probably rip your tongue no, out. Oh, no, no, no. It's lovely. So, but then you you kind of turned him around, right? Well, I did. And I think the next time I saw him, um, I showed him the 01 and 00 vintages mm-hmm. that, that one had just been bottled. And uh, and I sat down with him again. We were alone. This time we were sitting down. And I sat down. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, Michael, I've never liked your wines. Oh. I didn't like him in the 70s. When, <laughs> uh, you know, 
Chico Parra, man. Didn't like him in the 80s when Rex Geithner was making them. And uh, I didn't like him wow. in the 90s either. At least he's honest. Yeah. I mean, brutally, but. I, I thought to myself, well, you know, we hired Nils Venge in the 94. He's a buddy of yours. And that's why I'm here. We're at his winery. Yeah. But I didn't say that. I said, I said, well, Robert, um, I'm just telling you, it's really a whole new deal. We've changed everything mm-hmm. from our farming practices to our vinification techniques. These are the two vintages made from the first picks off the new mm-hmm. clones were growing, you know, straight down the hill. It's really a whole new deal. Mm-hmm. And the the 2000, I thought, was a very good vintage, very small production. Mm-hmm. And the old one was, was an excellent vintage. It was mm-hmm. the first year we made a reserve Cabernet. So after 20 minutes of tasting through the wines, I could tell Parker was impressed by the wines. And... Uh, he, he's wrapping up and he looks at me and he goes, you know what, Michael? I said, what? He goes, this is really a whole new deal. I went, oh, fuck, you're a genius. You're fucking nailing it. Yeah, where'd you get that idea? Fruit basket. Yeah. You gave him a fruit basket that year for Christmas. Yeah, he loved it. And then ever since then, his opinion has changed. Mm-hmm. And every time I see him, it's like seeing an old friend and he gets up and gives me a hug. And he almost has this proprietary interest in how we're doing. Because he knew we struggled, we he knew yeah. that we struggled for a while, and he also has this odd sense of, sense of affinity for us. We started in '77; that was the first year he wrote his newsletter, you know, publishing yeah, it was in his garage I, with his I, mom and everything. Not to date things, I think I was one years old then. Yeah, 1976. Yeah, '76 yeah. was a great year. You waited till a year too long, but whatever. Yeah. Drop year. Yeah. <laughs> so does he? So I guess what wine are we drinking? Let's talk about that. Let's let's switch gears here. Let's talk about the wine we're drinking. Uh, you've got a little bit of a super small production wine we made just for our open house uh, four years ago. So this is the wine that never hit the market. It's a 2014 Meritage blend. Mm, rhymes with heritage. <laughs> Meritage. Don't you love that when people say, I'd love your Meritage. One of my favorite things. Yeah, I'm um, sure. And I love to correct people, of course, yes. because it's a sport of mine that I really enjoy. So <laughs> yeah. I just actually like what people say. King of asshole, but yes, so I, know, I get that. Say, hey, hey dumbass. It's, yeah. it's pronounced. And it's pronounced Mer- how? Meritage. Meritage. Why do people say meritage? It sounds more French. They're trying to be fancy. Yeah. And try to show you that they're really in the know. And what is a meritage? It is a Bordeaux-based wine that includes three or more of the Bordeaux varietals, with not one of them um, equaling 75% or higher. Mm-hmm. So it's a true blend. So this is sending 20 Cab Sauvignon, 20 Cabernet Franc, and 60 Merlot. That equals 110. No, it equals 100. <laughs> Just making sure you're, you're paying attention. You're, you're including the tariff to Canada. So. Be like 40%, 140%. 100% in America, 110% in Canada. This is really, this is really good. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Wine's delicious. And you said how much did you make of it? Oh, 30 cases. Oh. We offered it as a futures lot at the open house. Mm-hmm. We only bottled what people ordered. That's good business practices. Yeah, so that's something that never hit the market, yeah, never wrong. hit the tasting room, never was an offer, an email offer. Charged them six years in advance. We, it's like futures, like Bordeaux, you know, futures. 15 months in advance. <laughs> Not that Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Even charge them interest. Yeah. I see how your winery is doing so well. Interest-free, you know. Okay, you okay. Trials, yeah. you charge interest. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. If you were a tasting note, okay, if we, we were talking about Michael Keenan, the man, the winemaker, as a tasting note, how would it go? If I was a tasting note? Yes, if you were to write a tasting note about you. I'd just go with one word. Uh, <laughs> salty. <laughs> salty. I don't think if I ever saw salty in a tasting note for any wine, I would want to drink it. I'd rather drink, what is it, fresh laid asphalt. <laughs> 
Have you ever seen that word? No, tar. Tar-like character. Lead pencil. Yeah. Have you ever eaten a lead pencil before? Sure, as a kid. Yeah, yeah well. What about as an adult? No, no I'm, I'm past that stage. Or, or my favorite one is the, the New Zealand cat's pee. Like, who's tasted cat's pee before? Anybody who's had Savignon Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> you don't make Savignon Blanc, do you? Uh, and there's a reason. <laughs> so what do you make up here? As my wife so aptly said when I had a party when someone handed her a glass of Savignon Blanc and she put her nose in it, not knowing what it was, she goes, ew, don't need that. I got that. I got cats at home. I can see Jennifer doing that. Yeah. She <laughs> claims to this day. She, never <laughs> she said it. She will deny this. She said it. Um, I was there. Well, no, well, exactly. What do you make? What do you make up here? With different uh, uh, varietals. Well, Cabernet Sauvignon number one by a very small margin over Merlot, my mm -hmm. favorite varietal. Yep. Uh, Cabernet Franc as a standalone varietal, also as a blending tool. Uh, a Zinfandel blend with mm -hmm. Alicante and Carignan. Uh, single vineyard Chardonnay. And that's it off the aceto, though we now have growing in our experimental plot. Um, Thanks to Riley, probably. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I blame him. Uh, Menthea, Morvedra, and uh, Petit Verdot. Wow. So we've got a few things. What did you rip out to put in that? Uh, a disease-ridden Merlot block. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. That's that's uh, that's a fair trade-off. Yeah. It's not like you went and ripped it out. No, not just to be capricious. No, it's a dying block. <laughs> capricious, <and> wow. <laughs> Probably don't know what that word is. You're one of those people that throws out these big words, and I don't know what they are, nor do you, and then we just laugh. syllables. <laughs> I get too excited. It is. That's amazing. In Canada, be a four because you'd add a U. It'd be conspicuous. There you go. So, um, what is what would you say your favorite grape? Well, I guess you already said it. It's Merlot, right? Mm -hmm. Why so? Because well, that's kind of you, you don't you know you see a lot of wineries that are shifting away from a Merlot or calling it a blend with. I won't name any of them, but. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> why Why do you love Merlot so much? Well, for two very simple, straightforward reasons. It's delicious when mm -hmm. it's grown in the right environment. I think the mountains where we are, the Spring Mountain District, is one of the top Merlot AVAs, not only in Napa, but in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's delicious, and it pairs with 97% of the food world. Mm -hmm. So when I think Barbecue. Of, when I, <laughs> I had to, you knew that was coming, because I, I know it drives you nuts. I totally. <laughs> When I think of wine, I think of food. To me, yep. wine and food are synonymous. They go together. I, I rarely drink wine without food. Yeah. So when I'm thinking food, Merlot is more often than not my yeah. favorite thing to drink. You know, when I think of food, I think of food. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I love when people say, make sure you eat. You ever think I've missed a meal? <laughs> I was kind of shocked when you passed up lunch when you came <laughs> to the door. Oh, I had lunch before. I'm going to have it after. Okay. Yeah, that's the, the biggest thing. I mean, Merlot is such a... You know, sideways probably killed it a little bit. Um, unfortunately, it did it, it did it a favor actually because really, well, Merlot is probably the most planted varietal in the world. Uh, it's easy to grow. Mm -hmm. It can be very delicious, and you can get a good crop if you have enough water. Mm -hmm. So, but to be distinct, you, you have to have it in the right area, the right terroir. And that was a problem with Merlot prior to sideways was it was being planted in so many places where it made an indistinct, semi-pleasurable, nice, innocuous. Mm -hmm. glass of wine or a bottle of wine and uh, sideways kind of changed that it was really hard for people to give away nondescript average mm -hmm. Merlot after that which is great because it took a lot of uh, the mediocre product out of the gene pool mm -hmm. and left people uh, to work with Merlot who really were dedicated to it who had proper terroir mm -hmm. and again Spring Mountain to me is it's the best terroir in Napa for Merlot and it's pretty interesting how many you make a beautiful Spring Mountain uh, Chardonnay 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of, you don't really see mountain or hear of mountain Chardonnay anymore, right? No, it's very rare. And that's, uh, well, it's sort of similar. It, it's a lot about money. Um, the land, the land values in Napa have gone up exponentially in the last three decades, mm -hmm. faster than the price of grapes and faster than the price of a bottle of wine. So there's mm -hmm. a bit of a disconnect. So if property changes hands and people have to make some money to pay off their loans, they're going to pull out Chardonnay, unless you're in Carneros, where you can't really grow Cabernet that well. And they're mm -hmm. going to plant Cabernet Sauvignon. It's just a... Not yet. They're going to be growing Cabernet. Well, they are. Yeah. They're, they're figuring it out. But they will. Traditionally, that's mm -hmm. been more Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. A little bit of Merlot, mm -hmm. Syrah, yep. uh, and other, other varietals down there. But uh, the mountains of Napa are primarily Cabernet Sauvignon country you know, throughout. Mm -hmm. Here we have a six-acre vineyard that's the coolest microsite, faces north. It's the only flattish area we have. It's still super rocky. Super well drained. Now the vineyard's twenty. This is its twenty-sixth leaf this year. Mm -hmm. It's in great shape. We haven't watered it for nineteen years, and we make it more of an old-world Burgundian-style Chardonnay that's just phenomenal. Because again, from the mountains, you get more energy, mm -hmm. whether it's a red or a white. They're just stronger. And for Chardonnay, which to me is all about subtlety, you add the word dynamic in front of subtlety, and all of a sudden, to me, you have a really interesting wine that actually is closer to the great burgundies, which are all about dynamic subtlety and just mm -hmm. feelings of crazy little subtle flavors crawling around your palate and this great sense of, of life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're capturing here up in elevation is that sense of liveliness and, and dynamic subtlety, which is what Chardonnay is all about. Mm -hmm. So we do this little thing called sip and spit. It's supposed to be a lightning round, but it's never taken anything less than two minutes because people, I, I give you hard, this is like investigative reporting. Just call me Geraldo Rivera without the broken nose. It's sponsored by no one. <laughs> you get nothing. Pretty much my life. But anyway, so if you were a grape, what grape would you be? Well, I'd be a Merlot grape. Okay, we kind of figured that out. Yeah. You already answered the next question, Merlot or Cabernet. If you had three letter, Okay, well, let's talk about this before I answer this question. So on the back of each bottle, you have Nils, uh, C-W-W-F-L-G, and you have Michael Ke Michael C. Keenan. You sound like Michael P. Keaton, president. No, so you don't have letters. So what does CWW backslash FLG stand for? Well, it's a very unique and special designation for Nils. He's the only wine professional in the world who has those two singular mm -hmm. designations. Um, it did say winemaker on the back label when I came back in 98. And then you got rid of him. <laughs> we changed this... Uh, we changed his title to, yeah, to suit his position. Yeah, we sure, whatever. Gave him a little bit of a demotion. Yeah. I, I actually took over the direction of the winemaking program myself. Demotion. So CWW, is a, it's an honorific title that means consulting wine wizard. What does it really mean? Consulting wine wizard, mm. unless you're in the trade, and then it's consulting wine whore. Yes. So Chief wine whore, I prefer. That's kind of what his role is. And he's kind of a wizardy. Yeah. Older fellow, he is. You know, with the whiter hair and, yeah. and that kind of what day is it yes. kind of look about him. Yes. <laughs> He's really good at texting, too. <laughs> yeah. And then what does FLG stand for? I know what that means. Well, a couple of years later, I thought we needed to refine uh, his title or add a, a title to mm -hmm. it that more really closely uh, described his current status at the winery. So FLG stands for Frequent Lunch Guest. Okay. So if you had three letters, um, some like to use four for me, but... If you had three letters, um, what would I be? <laughs> You'd be a fig. What does FIG stand for? Food is good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
you know what yours would be? It would be seven letters, and it'd start with A and end in E. <laughs> Aristotle? <laughs> and you put a ball in the second part of the word, a golf ball. All right, so that's good. Um, now, I believe Riley, who's um, kind of kind of like you with your father, I mean, in the essence of you're coming behind him in the, in the winery. Mm-hmm. What would you say, I, I, I heard as a child, he was um, something about raking or leaf raking. What would have been, <laughs> been his three, uh, three letters? <laughs> I'm not sure what the three raker of leaves slash, I can't remember what the other thing is, but he got the raker of leaves thing was, this is, I think he was 18 or 17 or 16 and he was mm-hmm. working here, you know, just part time on the weekends and, you know, during summer yeah. break or whatever. And, uh, you know, being a, wherever he was, 16, 17 year old, he wasn't always entirely focused on the simple tasks yep. that we give him. Yep. And one day he had the leaf blower on his, his back and he was blowing the leaves off the driveway. And I think it was kind of damp and it rained the night before. So, mm-hmm. you know, the leaves weren't moving too quickly. And I came, I come driving in and he's kind of, you know, looking left and blowing right and kind of looking up in the sky. Could get two of you. Could yep. Right, yep. two S's yep. about yep. what he was yep. doing. So I, I, you know, just make a note, but no big deal. Come into the office. An hour later, the FedEx guy comes in, and who uh, <laughs> was a regular guy I'd <laughs> yeah. seen rather before. Yeah. He goes, what's with the kid in the driveway going like this? <laughs> <laughs> and I said quite quickly, dryly, um, that's my son. <laughs> he goes, oh, well, here's your package. <laughs> I got to gotta go now. <laughs> so the, the raker of leaves kind of stuck from that. Oh, my God. Episode. Yeah. All right, which you, he thinks is funny now, which is great. I think it is. Yeah. I, I heard, think I heard on another podcast that he was talking about that. All right, what would you rather have, a 100-point score or a hole-in-one at Pebble or Augusta? A oh, hole-in-one, for sure. No question. Awesome. At Augusta. Favorite oddest food and wine pairing? Favorite oddest? Yeah, wine non-traditional. Pairing. Maybe not oddest, non-traditional. Because I know how you love, like, red wine and barbecue. Barbecue. <laughs> barbecue. Uh, God, there's a lot to choose from. Um, Just give me one. I would say uh, a dish. It was 2006. Uh, it was in New Orleans for the wine and food experience, mm-hmm. and the chef did a Prince Edward Island's mussel dish with the reserve Merlot. And I thought, man, the mailbox, right? The mailbox. I thought, nice. oh boy, you know, mussels, shellfish, and Merlot. It brought back these horrible memories of the worst <laughs> wine and food pairing I've ever had, which is probably more of a scarring memory. And that was this was in Oakland. This has got to be. 25, 30 years ago, before I came back to the wine. Probably not still in business. And my, my wife and I went over to someone's house that we barely knew for a dinner party. And there were, I think, two or three other couples there that we didn't really know at all. So I brought a bottle of, of Merlot as yeah. a gift. And I found the hostess in the kitchen stirring this large pot of bay shrimp and tomato sauce with a bunch of green bell peppers. And I hand the bottle to her and I say, you know, here, I just brought you a little something for the mm-hmm. cellar. She goes, oh, we love your Merlot. Let's let's open this up with dinner. And I looked at the pot. And I said, no, 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 please. <laughs> this wine's too young to drink. Please put this in your cellar and just yeah. give it some more time. It's it's not really ready to go. Yeah. And like a lot of women, um, you know, you couldn't talk to her. Right. She was. <laughs> she was. Thank uh, God, no women listen to this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had like four downloads. I think just in the last like two days. Oh, nice. Nice. This hasn't so, aired yet, jerk. <laughs> I sit down to, to dinner and you know I get some Merlot poured and there's this guy next to me and I, I sip the Merlot and I try the shrimp dish and just think, oh god, this is just, <laughs> this is fucking horrible. It's bitter and it brings out all the black tea tannins in the Merlot and the fruits all disappearing. Oh. And the guy next to me goes, uh, so uh, you're you're Michael Keenan, right? I go, yeah, yeah, Michael Keenan. 
He goes, so did you make this wine? I go, no. <laughs> My brother made this wine. He's a fucking retard. I got to fire him. He's terrible. You don't even <laughs> have a brother. <laughs> I know. Something's got to be done here. This is terrible. What did the uh, people... <laughs> what did the host think of the uh, pairing? I don't know. I, you don't talk to him anymore, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh my God! If uh, okay, if you weren't drinking wine, what are you drinking? Well, my new favorite drink is that uh, hard. Oh God! <laughs> the white claw? No, no, the hard, <laughs> hard kombucha. Oh, they're gonna say white claw. No, no, ain't no laws if you're drinking the claws. <laughs> Have you tried the white claw yet? Uh, no, but I tried the, oh. the truly, which is it's the same damn thing. Same damn thing. I tried the black cherry, which is like the number one seller for the white claw. It's like, yeah. oh, but that's, you know, it didn't make me any skinnier, obviously. <laughs> All right. Uh, best and worst uh, advice your dad ever gave you? Give me the, uh, the best and then give me the worst. Well, you know, the, the best is really a classic. He said when I was a very young child, he goes, you know, Michael, anything taken to an extreme is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. You know, moderation is the key to successful life and, and all all walks mm-hmm. and it's so true in winemaking every time you take something to an extreme it's it's almost always a mistake mm-hmm. and the wines end up being out of balance so it's perfect advice for life and it's perfect advice for winemaking mm-hmm. now the worst advice oh boy that's that's a tough one <laughs> was there a book you have to you can write on this one or well, I, nothing's leaping to mind yeah He's a okay. very smart man yeah he was and he yeah. did well in business right he overall did very well. yeah yeah Issues with his uh, interpersonal skills, right? But, you know, so, I, by example, he was, you know, there was bad advice there. Yeah, okay, so that's the worst advice. Yeah. Just don't speak yeah, that. Don't be a father like okay. I was. All right, there you, you know? go. So yeah, so in a way, to be serious, like that, yeah. that end up being bad advice because when you take a negative template, that might drive you away from a specific mm-hmm. problem, but it's not going to by you know specifically drive you to success. It's just going to drive you away from that certain problem. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to have a positive template and not just a, a negative template. So right. Don't do that. So it's like, again, back to golf. All of life can be seen through the lens of golf, as you know. Oh. So let's say you're having a hard time, you know, hooking the ball. and you get on. I the don't first. hook the ball. <laughs> don't be bringing it to me. I do not yeah, hook the ball. you have a hard time slicing the ball. <laughs> I don't do that either. And you get up on your first tee and there's a lake to the yep. right and you habitually slice it in the lake. So mm-hmm. one day you get up and you say to yourself, I am not going to effing slice this thing in the lake. So you yank it left into the trees where there's a forest <laughs> left of the fairway. So technically, I don't know what course you're playing. Technically, you you just had a success because yep. you didn't go in the lake. Yeah. The bad news is you're, <laughs> you're in the woods. You didn't have a positive template, which is hit it down the fucking middle. Oh, your favorite vintage. Oh boy. If you had to pick one, don't give me. Oh, my favorites are 2011. 2011 was pretty nice vintage. Even though the press uh, didn't think so. Well, it's the vintage I'm the proudest of as a winemaker. Yeah. Yep. So you actually had to show up to work that day, huh? We put in some, well, 2010, 2011, back to back yeah. were the two most difficult vintages that I've been a part of. Um, What's the best? 98. The best? I'm going to go with 03. 03? Yeah. Nice. That's pretty good. What does the future hold for Keenan Wines? Greatness. One word answer. <laughs> Greatness. <laughs> I think we just had a mic proverbial <laughs> mic drop. And on that note, I think we're going to end it. We're going to have a little uh, bonus uh, coverage of uh, Michael Keenan on uh, the Patreon Cork and Taylor site. So please go to that. Michael, um, I don't even know if this is a pleasure. <laughs> I will never get this 37 minutes of my life back. <laughs> but I appreciate it always. I love seeing you. I mean, it's uh, you're one of my favorites, true and true. And we're going to hopefully play golf when uh, 
when time allows it. So thank you, Michael, for joining the uh, Cork and Taylor Wine Podcast. My pleasure. Can I get a large uh, blow up of that photograph on your website and get you to sign it for me? I will, for sure. <laughs> Life-size, big boy. <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we'll check you guys out later. Thank you. Thank you.